need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Welcome to the China Business Cast. Before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to do a call out for guests from two specific areas in China. First, I would be very interested in learning more about the northwest to mid-north of China. So what I mean by that is uh, the province of Xinjiang, Qinghai, Gansu, and Ningxia in Shanxi. I actually have very few contacts and knowledge on these provinces, but it would be very interesting to learn more about them. The other area I would like to do a call out for is Southwest China, and that's with Sichuan, Guizhou, Yunnan, and uh, Tibet. So if you do business in these areas or you know someone from there that would be a great guest, please let us know. And now let's get back to the episode. Today's guest is the host of the popular podcast, The Expat Money Show. He has traveled the world extensively and lived overseas as an expat for over 20 years. He is the author of the book Expat Secrets, which deals with the financial side of the internalization of your life. Today we have Mikkel Thurb on the show to talk and learn on how to structure your finances as an expat. We hope you'll enjoy and let's tune in. Uh, okay, so let's welcome uh, uh, to the show. Let's have uh, Mikkel Thorpe and uh, we're going to be talking about money and finances as an expat and uh, related to China and probably also related to anywhere you are. Welcome to the show, Mikkel. My pleasure to be here, Jans. I'm really happy to uh, have a chance to sit down and talk to you. You guys have such an amazing audience here with the China, China Business Cast, so I'm really interested to hear, uh, to help out your listeners and, and hopefully provide some value for you guys. Yeah, uh, let's uh, let's get going. That uh, sounds very interesting. Um, so I know you have a relationship to, to China, and uh, how did that happen, and, and what are you up to, and, and what's that relationship? Well, I have the, the most meaningful relationship you could possibly imagine. So my wife is actually born and raised in China. She's, uh, she's from Guizhou. She's a Chinese citizen, Mandarin speaker. Even though we live over here in the Middle East, I'm based out of Abu Dhabi. She's about as Chinese as you get. So I definitely have some, some strong ties to China. I've tried to study the language a little bit. You know, I've taken a couple of online courses from the universities there about the culture and really try to understand the, the people and also the business side of it. So um, yeah, definitely very close to my heart. Yeah, okay, yeah, very similar to myself, also married to a Chinese lady uh, from slightly different part, but actually quite close to, uh, uh, to where your wife is from. And I understand you've been to China as well uh, quite a bit. Oh my goodness, many, many, many times. We own properties there, and uh, we go several times a year, I want to say. Uh, my wife goes a little bit more often than I do, because we have a daughter together. Sure. She's two and a half, so she goes and sees her grandparents wow. quite often, and we really want to raise our daughter to speak Mandarin and English, both as first languages. So not one stronger than the other. So it's challenging, but, but we're working hard to make sure she has a mix of both cultures. Yeah, not a very common part with me. Like uh, my daughter's coming up to uh, uh, to almost two years, but uh, we're we're doing trilingual, so Dutch. 
Chinese and English, which is which is not that easy. Yeah, we're third. Our third language is going to be Spanish because that's my second language, but um, the Spanish is still a ways away. But the English and the Chinese at yeah at almost three years, she's doing quite well. Like I'm, I'm well impressed with her ability. Okay, that sounds awesome. So before we deep dive into into today's topic, so we're going to be talking about expats and and finances. How would you define an expat or what would you be your definition? Oh, absolutely. This is a great question because a lot of people have a misconception of what an expat is, actually. I've even heard some like racist terms around this. Like I host a podcast called The Expat Money Show. And I can promise you there is nothing racist involved when I talk about expats. For expats, it just really means, you know, someone who lives abroad and is incorporating themselves into the culture, but maybe they're not planning on living there their entire life. So I think that's kind of the difference between an immigrant and an expat. An expat might go overseas for six months, a year, five years, 10 years, with the expectation that they will actually live somewhere else again later on, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the back in their country of birth. Like, for example, I've been an expat for 20 years. So I lived in Australia for three years. I lived in New Zealand for a year and Singapore for a year and all over North America. And now I've been in the Middle East for going on eight years now. But I wouldn't say I'm an immigrant in the UAE. You know, I don't have an Emirati passport. It's not even possible for me to get an Emirati passport. But this is my home and, and I do have my life and my friends and, you know, our property, like, we have a place here and and I don't go back to Canada very often and I don't expect that I will ever retire in Canada. Most likely, I will just continue on and live as an expat in other countries. I, I, f- I fully hear you. I, I'm in the same boat. I've been in China for five, six years now, but I don't see myself going back to the Netherlands where I'm from to, to retire there. Europe could be an option, but most likely wouldn't be uh, in the Netherlands. So, yeah, I I hear you on that part. Well, I think one of the really exciting things is that when you live overseas as an expat, every day you are learning something so completely different. You know, you watch everyday normal individuals do things that for them is completely normal, but for you, it might be completely different. You know, like it's, it's an opportunity to learn. And especially in China, like I think of China, not really as a different country, but as a different planet, like things are so different there. And that's fascinating. That's amazing. Like, I love learning about the culture and the history, the language and the food. Like this is really, really cool stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I hear you. It's, it's definitely an adventure on a daily basis, and, and that's what makes it exciting, and that's, that's what's keeping me here, uh, at least for now, for sure. Um, are, there, are there any other terms that we need to define before we uh, get further into the, the deep diving of the topic? Well, the other one that I find very beneficial, I suppose, is understanding the word offshore. So when I use the word offshore, Basically, what I'm referring to is the financial side of 
of living overseas. So there's what we would call around 40 or 42 offshore jurisdictions. And these will be places like Singapore, Hong Kong, um, the Seychelles, British Virgin Islands, BVI, uh, Belize, Panama. You know, these are those kind of offshore countries, even some places in Europe, like in a lot of ways, Ireland, Portugal, Switzerland. These are all offshore jurisdictions as well. But really what it means is outside of your country of birth, and, and they're often very tax favorable to, to doing business there. So I think that if you understand the concept of being an expat and understand the concept of offshore, you know, that's a pretty good framework for what we're going to discuss today. Okay, okay. And while we're, we're getting into the topic, so we're going to be talking about finances. And then I, I see a lot of expats in, in China or just expats globally all over the world. And dealing with your finances um, away from your home country can definitely have its, uh, its challenges, right? So what kind of, what kind of issues or, or mistakes do you see expats make on their personal or their uh, business financials in, in general? Okay, so I've got an example here for you straight off the bat because this is just so, so, so common. So when people move overseas and they start doing their banking and, you know, maybe they get a credit card. Well, when I sat down to get a credit card here in the Middle East and I met with the bank manager and I had to prove, you know, my, my credit history and things like that. And he says to me, uh, Mikkel, would you like to pay off 20%, 30%, 50% of your credit card every month? And I'm scratching my head, John, and I'm like, uh... 100%. Like, why would you ever do anything else than pay off 100% of your credit card? Yeah. And it, it's, it's really true. Like, they take advantage of people who don't understand these types of systems. Now, it is mathematically impossible to ever pay off your credit card, to ever get out of debt, unless you pay off everything except for 100%. Now, here in the Middle East, we pay a 3% credit card fee. When you think, wow, 3%, that's amazing. No, hold it for a second. That's 3% monthly. 3% monthly. So when you compound that, you're talking somewhere around 40 to 42% annualized. Now in Canada, where I'm from, that would be against the law. Like, <laughs> There is no way that you are taking out a credit card that is going to be 42% annualized return compounding interest on your on your debt. You know, I think we max out at like 19% or something, but it's pretty average for like 14%, 16%. So like right off the bat, when you go to get credit overseas, it can work really, really different. And I've seen a lot of people in my 20 years as an expat go and 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 fall into a situation like this where they don't understand and they rack up so much debt and they don't understand that basically now everything that you purchase if you carry a balance on your card that it's going to cost you 40% or 42% more money for everything that you buy if you buy uh, a cheeseburger and it's supposed to cost you you know cheeseburger fries and a, and a drink it's supposed to cost you ten dollars it really costs you fourteen dollars because you're paying the interest on that if you're not paying off your debt every single month so it was like situations that th happened like this that i saw over and over and over again and i was like people need to understand this stuff people need to to wake up 
to to understand that the financial system is very different overseas. And that was kind of the genesis. And from there, I've gone on to all the tax mitigation, how we can use the offshore markets to structure the businesses so that you're using offshore bank accounts, so that you use trusts and things like this to protect your wealth and, and a whole host of other things that are, are really important, but are not often talked about when you first move overseas. Okay. So I, I'm in the uh, I'm on my own financial journey and uh, the, the fire movement, uh, financial independence, retire early. So I, like for me, it's like baffling to think people taking out credit card. There's nothing wrong with a credit card as long as you use it as a tool to accomplish something. But taking debt on credit card is 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 one of the you know the stupidest things you can do if you're not exactly know what you're doing and uh, have very specific plans with it. Um, so yeah, it's very surprising for me to yeah to see that happen so much. Oh, you wouldn't believe it. Here in the Middle East, we have so many people who are, you know, 22, 24 years old. They've never worked overseas. Maybe they've never even had a job before and they move overseas for the first time. And even basic things like this, they don't know. And really at the end of the day, I blame the education system, like, and, and I'm happy to get into my, my beliefs and thoughts about education, but I think that there are, and I'm, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I think that they purposefully don't teach you these types of things in school. Like, I remember being in school and they never taught me about money at all. I'll, all I wanted to learn was how to make money, but instead I was learning stupid things like trigonometry, which has nothing to do <laughs> with my career at all. If I'm going to be an architect, then fine, but you know, I want to know how to balance a checkbook. I want to know how compounding interest works. I want to know how to make my money work for myself instead of just looking at trading time for dollars. You know, There's a lot of ways to earn money and be financially free. I'm completely with you. I'm like I'm in on the on the same well, not conspiracy theories, but the same boat as like education system. But that's maybe a topic for another podcast. <laughs> so, if if you take it back to uh, to to finance, so the credit card, in my opinion, is kind of a low hanging fruit. But sure, that that happens with people with no experience or, or just moving abroad first. Um, our audience is. I might say more mature. They have businesses. They are entrepreneurs, uh, or they're they're working for larger businesses, hosted um, abroad or, or somehow related to uh, to Asia or China. What kind of strategies um, would you recommend for those kind of people to to lower their tax responsibilities, lower their their exposure to to risk in uh, from a financial side? So one of the things that I teach and talk about a lot is, and people might know it as flag theory or PT theory, which just stands for uh, permanent tourist, previous taxpayer, things like this. And this is what I help a lot of people do. So say, for example, this is somewhat of an example of myself, although I won't use my, my real finances. But say someone like me, I'm a Canadian citizen. I'm a non-resident of Canada. And, uh, you know, I am a resident here in the UAE. So when I live here in the UAE, this is a tax-free country. Now, we have a 5% VAT that did come in uh, last January. But as for income tax, it's, it's a zero-tax country. So this works in this regard. Now, I can have a business set up in, say, Singapore or Hong Kong, things like this, that are very 
used to doing business with mainland China, for example. So there's a lot of similarities in the language. They understand the banking systems. They have strong ties for the banking. So you could have your company set up in an offshore jurisdiction like this and use some of the banking there or maybe even bank in the Caribbean and things like that. So if you do like an Amazon FBA company, if you do drop shipping or if you're a consultant or these types of businesses, coaching, consulting, uh, information products, you can basically do it in a tax-free manner. So you might live overseas in the Middle East or you might live in Central and South America. Like I know that Panama has the Friendly Nations visa. So you could be a resident of Panama, live somewhere else, travel, um, have citizenship you know, in Europe or in North America, run your business out of uh, Singapore or Hong Kong and, you know, source products from China and ship them around the world. So it's, it's these types of strategies of, of where you're planting flags that become very beneficial um, in a tax way. And I, and I don't want to get into too much on like individual tax advice, but this is the basic philosophy behind PT, behind flag theory. And, and there are strategies like this that can eliminate your tax bill completely and open you up to a lot more freedom and privacy in your life and all things that I, I really strongly believe in. So I hope that makes sense in kind of a roundabout way of answering your question there, Jans. That makes complete sense to me. Um, I am, I'm in the same boat. I'm um, from the Netherlands. I live in China, so I'm a non-resident of, of the Netherlands. I'm a resident uh, in, in China, uh, but my business is in, in Hong Kong. Um, China is, is maybe not as a 0% tax haven as, as the UAE, but China has other benefits for me as well. So I, I, I've structured myself similarly. I started planting flags and I'm on my journey uh, on, my, on myself. Well, and then there's so many other benefits that come along with that. You know, there's asset protection. You know, there's we can set up trusts. We can have the company that holds your assets. So if you own properties overseas, if you have gold and silver or stocks and bonds, you know, there's ways to hold these things in an offshore structure that are going to make it really difficult for, you know, persons or companies or governments to attack you, to come after you with litigation. And and I think that those are also really viable things that people need to understand, especially if you're a little bit further along in your entrepreneurial journey. You know, if you're making a few hundred thousand dollars a year and you still have years to, to go on, on your earning potential, you know, those are things that you really want to protect. Someone can come after you and, and try to sue you for your money. And it's just like, I don't know, man, it's a little bit scary. So... I work with a lot of CPAs, of, of tax attorneys, um, asset protection lawyers, and, and we work with clients one-on-one -on -one to kind of set up these structures. But yeah, definitely the first reason is always going to be tax mitigation. The second is probably protection. And then I guess the third is the ability to acquire a second passport, or if nothing else, um, a residence, residency in these second countries. I, uh, I understand. What, what I find cool is that... Um that these kind of things were previously only accessible for the ultra rich. Um, 
for the for the top level of society, but it has become quite a bit more accessible, or at least the knowledge about it has spread more, in my opinion, um, to um, to a wider audience. And if you're taking steps by yourself, it's, it's actually a lot of these things are possible to accomplish uh, on smaller budgets and on smaller scales. Um, but that's that's very interesting, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you think about some of the countries for acquiring a second passport, like you know, they might cost a million, two million euros or something like that. And a lot of people think that that's all there is available. But listen, I I know economic passports, investment passports that are a hundred thousand, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars of an investment into the country, where if that can help mitigate your tax circumstances, they pay for each, they pay for themselves really fast, you know. And as for an offshore bank account, I help people get set up with offshore bank accounts and the deposit is 1,000 US dollars just as your initial deposit. Like that's cheap as chips and the protection uh, that that offers you is amazing. Like take, for example, Belize. I work closely with a bank in Belize and they have 24% is how much money they have to have on their books uh, to balance their accounts. So when you look at, say, a... If you look at a bank account in the United States, their capital ratio is something like 2%. So, you know, like you you can see the differences in safety just so quickly. And for $1,000, you can start putting money aside in that. And I'm not even saying that this costs $1,000. I'm saying this is a $1,000 deposit. This is still your money, you know. Set up an offshore company. We're talking $2,000, $3,000. And... And the protection and the the mitigation that this gives you is just amazing. But people need to be aware of these things before they can even do any research, you know, because it's not often talked about. And there's a lot of like bad press out there. People hear about the Panama Papers and like this is scary and tax evasion and IRS coming after you. Listen, we don't deal with any of that stuff. We do everything by the book. Everything is legal. I work with lawyers and CPAs and accountants. We don't deal with any of this dodgy stuff. I'm not dealing, you know, this is not like oligarchs hiding money offshore. These are entrepreneurs who live overseas, who need ease of doing business, make things more streamlined, protect against uh, litigation, and and have a little bit of tax uh, tax favorable situation, you could say. So once you understand these things, you know, I encourage your listeners to get out there, read, research, understand more. You can visit my website, expatmoneyshow.com. We talk about this stuff every single day. No, I, uh, yeah, good. Um, that's great insights. Thanks for, thanks for that. When we're, we're getting closer to wrapping up the, the show for today, I think, what would be your, your number one actionable tip to, to give to the audience to actually get started on this? Okay, so I look at things a little bit differently when it comes to finances. So we've all heard before, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, it's diversification. And you might be thinking, oh my goodness, yeah, I've heard this before, Mikhail. So basic, diversification. Listen, I'm not talking about diversification between, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and maybe a little bit of real estate thrown in there as well. For me, I look at international diversification. So what does that mean? Well, okay, for example, I am a Canadian citizen. I live here in the Middle East. The Durham is 
pegged to the US dollar. So if I have stocks in the New York Stock Exchange and I earn money here in the UAE, you might think, wow, that's quite diversified. But it's not really because my currency is pegged. So you have to look at things like that. So I make sure that I have uh, all my investments in different areas in the world in regions that I think are going to, to be booming. So I have bonds in the UK that I purchased after Brexit. You know, So that's a GBP, that's British pound sterling. Um, I have apartments in China with my wife. That's a totally different economy. It's a different asset class. I have uh, investments in options, things that are going to be diversified through time. So options expire at different time intervals. Bonds, the coupon comes in at different times. I also diversify through my residency, through my citizenship. So I'm also diversifying through governments. I don't just rely on the Canadian government or the American government or the UAE government. I have bases around the world, which if things turn to hell in a handbasket, you know, I can leave. If things go south here in the Middle East, that's okay. I can go to Panama. I can go to China. I can go back to Canada. I have options there. But you need to set these things up in advance. Because if you're trying to do them, you know, when something, when something goes bad, often that's too late, you know? So I always encourage people to start looking at their life in advance. Like, how is it that things could go south? How could it happen where the government goes against you, your finances go against you, the currency goes against you? How are you going to protect yourself in situations like this? And I'm not a doom and gloom kind of guy, and I'm, I'm certainly not a conspiracy kind of guy. I'm, I'm very positive, but I'm also very pragmatic, you know? I have, like I said, a wife and a daughter that I have to look after. And it's important to me to be able to sleep well at night, knowing that my finances and my money and, and where we're going to live are all taken care of. So I hope that kind of answers your question on that one. Like I don't have a, a quick, you know, one, two, three tips, but I do encourage people to, to understand and thinking, at th thinking about things in a deeper level. No, I, I like that a lot. Um, looking forward and making plans and, and getting into action for future for protection for for change you, you never know that the world is very dynamic and always in flux so um it's good to prepare absolutely okay yeah thanks thanks a lot for all these insights and in, uh, in your time um as a wrap-up if if our audience wants to learn more or want to get in touch with you um where could they where could they reach you what would be the best ways yeah, absolutely. So you can visit my website. It's called Expat Money Show. So just go to expatmoneyshow.com. We have a podcast and a blog and a daily newsletter that you can join. But if you're interested in learning and understanding more about protection uh, in the international offshore space, then you can go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash protection. And on that, you can download the infographic report that I've put up. And I actually worked very closely with an asset protection lawyer uh, to draft this up. And it's 15 global strategies to protect your wealth. And honestly, I'm very proud of this. I've gotten a fantastic response from it. And uh, it really outlines and gives you a lot of resources. So I encourage your listeners to check that out. Also, feel free to pick up a copy of my new book. It's called Expat Secrets. And once again, we talk about a lot of these concepts about internationalizing your life. You can pick it up on Amazon, um, anywhere in the world. And uh, yeah, reach out to me anytime you need some help. Sound, sounds great. Well, be sure to uh, link all these uh, uh, links and, and methods uh, in the show notes down there. 
And I highly recommend checking out and, and like a, the actionable tip was start looking forward, start planning. So that sounds great to me. Perfect. Thanks so much, Jans. Okay. Thank you, uh, Mikkel. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry. China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.